Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Last October, our family took a family vacation down to Universal Studios in Orlando, and I was talking to somebody this morning that the last three years, time has either stood still or it has accelerated at an unimaginable pace. And so I just think about just the weird seasons that have happened over the last three years. Y'all remember when nobody worked? And like you could go to a restaurant and you weren't sure if like if anybody actually worked there or not. You weren't sure if they were going to be open or closed. I mean, just just we're still kind of recovering from that. But just just the weird seasons that we've had over the last last three years. And so we go to Universal Studios and and for the life of me, I don't understand where Orlando finds people to work at all the places that they have to work. I mean, you know, how in the world do they find all the people to get jobs there? And so. We went down there, and um, we were trying to find something to eat that didn't require taking a mortgage out at the theme park. And so that meant going outside the theme park to find something to eat. And uh, we ended up at this restaurant. I won't say it because I'm online and, I don't, you know, on the Internet, I don't want to be accused of, of, of anything like sponsorships or anything like that. We went to a restaurant that only served chicken salad. And, uh, and to a derogatory term for, for women. And so, uh, so we went to this restaurant that served chicken salad. And, um, and they weren't at all crowded. But like most places, they were struggling. And places that were open and, and trying to do a good job, they were, they were struggling. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I only laid eyes on like two employees at this particular restaurant at this particular time. And so we did what you're supposed to do at a restaurant. You place your order. We went and had a seat. We sat close to another family was there. It was really the only couple of folks in the restaurant. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. Finally, the young lady that was working the counter brought a tray out, and she delivered it to the other family that was seated there in the restaurant. And we're looking at what's on the tray, and it looked very similar to that which we had just ordered. And the other family was looking on the tray, and it was, looked nothing like what they had ordered. And so the other family said, that, that's not our order. And this poor young lady, she was so exasperated because here's this food. It's got to be for this family, and it wasn't for this family, but it was for us. And so we thought, oh, good, this is exciting. Our food's here, so we're going to get to eat. And so we got the girl's attention. She's flustered. She's, she's all the things. And we said, ma'am, that, that's ours. And she looked down at the tray. And then she looked at us, and she said, it's not done yet. <laughs> you serve chicken salad for a living. It was done before you scooped it out. It was done enough for them. How can it not be done enough for us? We eventually did get our food, and thankfully it was done. When we think about our faith journey, I think the young lady at the restaurant that day was on to something, though. When you think about your walk with Christ, here's good news. It's not done yet. So if if you're struggling with some things, the good news for you today is that it's not done yet. There's still work to be done. There's, it's still a, a process that is taking place. We haven't yet arrived. Good news for you today, child of God, your faith journey is not done yet. There is still time. 
to work on the things that you are working on, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It may not be done today, but there is still time. You know, we've been looking at the nation of Israel in the book of Joshua, and they've been working towards a goal. They've been working towards building a nation. They've been working towards seeing God's promises come into complete fulfillment. And again, I think the the word applies here. It's not done yet. There's still work to happen. They've had their fair share of missteps along the way. And most of the time those missteps have happened, they've taken place because they took their eyes off the Lord. How many of us share that testimony that we've had plenty of missteps in our lives and most of the times our missteps have happened because we took our eyes off the Lord? Israel takes his eyes off of the Lord and as they do, they make mistakes. Pastor Jacob pointed out last week so well that that they miscommunicated, they misunderstood one another's intentions that would have been really simple to overcome had they just taken the time to to talk, to to think through, to to work through. They're not done yet, but they're working towards the goal. They almost suffered a civil war as a consequence, but the crisis was averted through just a simple explanation. And the the word here is easy. Building a nation is not easy. Building a nation is hard work. Ben Franklin was once asked by a reporter during the drafting of the Constitution, the reporter asked Ben Franklin, said, well, do we have a republic or a monarchy? And Ben Franklin allegedly replied, we've got a republic if you can keep it, if you can keep it. We know what's coming for the nation of Israel. You don't have to flip very far into the book of Judges, just a couple of pages over, and we know that there is trouble that's brewing. But the trouble that shows up in the next book of the Bible is not there because General Joshua didn't try to prepare the nation for what was to come. Joshua knew that there was still work to be done. It's not finished yet. There is still a nation of God's people to finish the, the, the work in. We get into chapter 23 and we find out that a significant amount of time has passed. We don't know exactly how much time has passed between chapter 22 and chapter 23, In spite of the work that's been accomplished, Joshua's clear reminder to the nation is simply this. It's not done yet. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open to chapter 23 of the book of Joshua as we consider these words today. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm only going to read a few verses from Joshua chapter 23 today. But uh, I invite you to stand if you're able as I read these words from Joshua chapter 23 beginning there in verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders, and its heads, its judges, and its officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord, has, the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be strong, be very strong, to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. 
One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Father, I thank you for the precious words that Joshua gives to his people. I thank you, Father, for the wisdom that you have given this man that continues to speak to us even in our day and time. God, we're grateful and pray that you would help us to glean good things from your scriptures today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Some things that stand out to us this morning as we dig into these verses. The obvious first thing we recognize is that time has passed. We don't know how much time has passed. We don't know what the, what the length is for certain. Presumably, though, it's been a peaceful passage of time. The, the last crisis that we really see is back in chapter 22. It was that, that inkling towards civil war. It was the last kind of blip on the, on the timeline for a while. And we find out why. The very first verse gives us a very important word. The Lord had given rest to Israel. The Lord had been faithful. The Lord had given them rest. The battle was finished. There was peace in the land. And in the process, Joshua has grown old. I think about just his experience of peace, somebody whose, whose life was was marked. We first really encounter him as a spy going into the promised land. He, he comes back full of excitement and vigor. He's ready to go conquer the promised land to see God's promises come to fruition. He's outnumbered by the rest of the spies, though, and, and then his life gets thrust into 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He has to come to the promised land and, and, and take the leadership from Moses. And So I think about this man. If there's anybody in the Bible that, that in the Old Testament that deserves a rest, it's Joshua. And so he gets a rest here. He's able to have peace. And so what we're dealing with here is another one of these passages that gives us pause to listen to the wisdom of someone who has walked the walk. I love those stories. I love hearing the words of people who recognize that their time on earth is short and they want to invest in those who come behind him. This is where Josh was at. He knows his time is near. He knows that he doesn't have many words left to speak. And so the words that he has to say are significant. Now understand this. The words that Joshua gives us here, they're no more inspired than the other words that we encounter in the Bible, but there is something about the words of a godly man who is getting close to his death. If you've ever had that experience with a a dad or a grandpa who is near death, to be able to hear what he has to say about his walk with the Lord is certainly significant. We recognize that these are words that we should pay close attention to. Joshua, he's experienced a a lifetime of, of faithfulness. Joshua has what we might call a clingy faith. It, it's something that, that marks him from the time we first meet him until the time that he drifts off from the pages of Scripture. Joshua, Joshua's faith is, is very clingy. It's not something that he sheds easily. It is a constant in his life. Now, understand, I'm not making any claims that Joshua is perfect. We recognize that there are shortcomings and failures. But when we consider Joshua's story... I think one of the things that just screams from his life is that there's no moments of glaring doubt. 
There's never a moment where Joshua says, you know, I don't know that we can do this. I don't know that we can accomplish this. I don't know that we can be faithful to this. Joshua is constantly a man who trusts God and he's willing to do whatever God says to accomplish whatever God wants throughout his entire life. Again, we don't see any tremendous spiritual failings from Joshua. We don't see any moral catastrophe from Joshua. We certainly see some missteps in leadership. He's not perfect by any means. But we don't see those glaring flaws in Joshua like we see in in Moses. Moses comes to us as a broken character. He comes to us with somebody who, who was a murderer. He, he struggled internally. He wasn't sure if he could do what God called him to do. Moses is introduced to us as somebody who, who has those, those moral shortcomings, and that's okay. We identify with those characters. I think of King David. Again, David is somebody that, that we're introduced to, and he's a He's kind of a rock star to begin with, but he sort of has some missteps along the way, some moral shortcomings. You think of Solomon. King Solomon comes to us as, as, a, as a brilliant, wise man. He's faithful, but again, his, his moral shortcomings become very evident in his life. We meet Joshua, and, and honestly, Joshua's biblical record is one of the cleanest in the Old Testament. Again, no claims of perfection, but the Bible doesn't report a lot of, a lot of moral shortcomings with General Joshua. And so as someone who we're looking to model faith, Joshua is somebody that we look at and say, I want to have faith like Joshua. I want to have a life like Joshua's that's marked by faithfulness and trust and obedience. Joshua's faith is one I think that we can agree is worth emulating. So how do we develop this kind of of clingy faith that, that comes with us, that follows us along. We don't shake it, we don't shed it. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't fall off. How do we develop that kind of clingy faith? Faith. And I think the first thing that Joshua should teach us here is that clingy faith is grounded in God's character, not our experience. Clingy faith is developed and grounded in God's character, not in our experience. I love what Joshua does here at the first part of this chapter. You'll notice that, that he begins to speak to Israel. He begins to teach them. He begins to instruct them. And what he does is he spends these first five verses just quickly recounting God's promises. But what you'll notice as Joshua recounts this, there's some things he doesn't mention. I mean, he doesn't mention the Jordan parting. I got to think that if I had experienced that, like, that's going to be a story I tell on my deathbed. Like, I was there when the Jordan River parted. We walked through on dry ground. Joshua doesn't even mention the Jordan River crossing. I mean, again, Jericho falling. You got to think that if you were the general in charge of Jericho, uh, the battle of Jericho, when the walls came tumbling down, like, I, I, I mean, I'm getting a tattoo of, the, of, of like the Jericho walls. I mean, I'm bragging about this. Everybody's going to know that, that this is what happened in my life. Like, like you won't believe what happened in, in the battle of Jericho. I mean, everybody's going to know. I'm like, I'm dying. Were you there at Jericho? Like some old warrior talking about a battle that he was in. Were you there at Jericho? Absolutely. Or, or the sun standing still? The day that he led the battle and the sun wouldn't set? I mean, those are stories that, that I'm telling. Miraculous, incredible events. But at the end of his life, Joshua isn't dwelling on those things. Instead, what is Joshua dwelling on? He's not saying, look at what I've done, look at what I've accomplished. Instead, Joshua points to God's track record of kept promises. He points to God's track record of faithfulness. He points to the fact that God has kept his good word from beginning to end. That's what he focuses on. 
It's not based on his experience. It's not based on what he's seen. It's not based on his observation. He understands that God is faithful and that people's clingy faith needs to be developed on the back of God's promises, not on the back of our experiences because God's not done yet. There's still work to be done. I fear so much of today's church has been built on a culture of experience. And what do I mean by that? Uh, so much of today's modern churches is driven and even sustained by experience. So much of, 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 what, of what we do and so much of our faith is grounded in something that we have experienced. Now understand me in this. I'm not suggesting that there's a problem with, with our students going to winter retreat next weekend and having an awesome experience at winter retreat. You know, I, I pray God moves amongst our teenagers at winter retreat next weekend. I pray that it's something that they don't soon forget. Just like camp last year. We had young people whose lives were radically transformed at camp last year. It, it's an experience that they'll never forget when God wrecked their lives at summer camp. I pray for those events. I pray for those experiences. But let me ask you a question. What happens when our experience isn't so grand? What happens when our, our experience is rather mundane? What happens if we go to winter retreat next weekend and it's boring? Or, or camp is, is, you know, we, on the way there, we, we have, have a broken down vehicle. We get there and the air conditioner doesn't work. And, I mean, what happens if it's, if it's that and it's, and it's not fun? It's, it's not exciting. What happens if the, the music's not loud? What happens when the experience is not so great? What happens when the worship service isn't what we hoped it would be? What happens when our experience is marred by sin? How many times has our experience in the church been tainted by things, things like hurt feelings, anger, mistakes, missteps, miscommunications? How many times is our experience of the body of Christ characterized not by, man, excitement and enthusiasm and, 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 and just, just a move? Instead, it's characterized by stuff that none of us like. Let me make you a promise. If you've never had that experience before, the experience of sin and miscommunication and missteps, it's just a matter of time before you do. And if your faith is riding on your experience, you're going to have problems in the long term. If your faith is riding on the excitement of camp or the excitement of a revival service, you're going to have a problem in the long run. Because clingy faith is not based on our highs and our lows. Clingy faith is based on God's faithfulness. Because you're going to have experiences that will drive you towards the Lord, and you're going to have experiences that will drive you away from the Lord. But clingy faith is based in God's faithfulness. It's based in God's promises because even when the circumstances are bad, there's still gonna be a voice that is calling you to obedience and faith in Jesus. Even when the service is boring, there's still gonna be something calling to you that's greater than yourself, that's bigger than yourself. There's still gonna be something that's calling you closer to Jesus when you rest in God's faithfulness. Secondly, we understand clingy faith is reinforced by the word of God. 
We know God is going to be true to his word. We know that God has given to us what we need to walk in obedience to him. This is such a simple instruction that, jo- that Joshua gives to Israel, but it doesn't take it long for them to get it wrong. They ask, Joshua says, you need to be obedient to the Lord. You need to cling to the word. You need to focus on, on the Lord. You need to walk in obedience to him. I think there's a strong tendency for us today to get it wrong as well. It's really no wonder Gallup organization reported back this summer a record low 20% of Americans now say the Bible is the literal word of God, down from 24% the last time the question was asked in 2017, and half of what it was at high points back in 1980 and 1984. Listen to this. A new high of 29% of Americans say the Bible is a collection of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. It's almost one out of three Americans look at the Bible not as something given to us by God, but as something recorded by man. This marks the first time significantly more Americans have viewed the Bible not as divinely inspired rather than the literal word of God. If people in our world today believe the Bible is fables, legends, history, moral precepts, rather than the inspired word of God, then it shouldn't surprise us to see that we are in a position of this spiritual moment as a people. Joshua's instructions to Israel, do not turn from it to the left or to the right. He is saying, stay true, stay faithful, stay the course, stay obedient, don't deviate. These are literally God's words given to us through the writer of Joshua here. But we live in a nation where almost one-third of the people reduce the authoritative words of God to simply fables and morals suggested by men. Why does that create such a problem for us? When our moral suggestions are made, we find that moral suggestions aren't very clingy. We understand the the force of thou shalt not, but we live in a world today that's been replaced by the ambiguity of thou should not. Notice the difference. And it doesn't take very long for thou should not to turn into thou probably should not. Joshua isn't unclear here for the Israelites. He reminds the Israelites, God has been faithful to you, therefore you have every reason to follow his word. You have every reason to trust him. You have every reason to be obedient to him because he has never broken his promises. He's done everything he said he would do. And he says, people, you are the, you've seen it firsthand. You've had the experience of it. Thirdly, clingy faith is not ignorant of potential dangers. Joshua, in the warning here, gives, he, he mentions a couple of things. One of the things he mentions is, is marriage. The nation was not allowed to enter into marriage relationships with the Canaanites that remained. Again, as, as commands go, this isn't hard, right? Uh, this is not a complicated instruction. Here are the people you can marry. Here are the people you, can, you can't marry. So these are the ones you can These are the ones you can't. Hey, Joshua, can I marry her? Which group is she in? Again, this is not hard. This is simple. These you can. These you can't. You should marry them. 
you shouldn't marry them. Why does this matter? Because God understood the consequences of marriages that were entered into outside of his covenant expectations. You look to King Solomon, literally the smartest human being to ever walk the face of the planet. And the man was, a, was brilliant. He was brilliant in everything. There was nothing in the world of academia, law, philosophy that was beyond him, that confounded him, that confused him. World leaders came all over from all over to listen to the man speak. What was his downfall? He married women from the wrong group. He he, he ignored this simple instruction. These you can marry. These you can't marry. And Solomon comes off the rails. God literally gave him a superpower. I mean, he had wisdom that was superhuman. He had wisdom that exceeded the wisdom of all other men. But even in his wisdom, he was unable to avoid the pitfalls of entering into marriages with people who didn't share his convictions. And guess what happened? It wasn't long before his convictions were watered down and he was serving false gods. And we live today in the first generation of human history We don't even know how to define marriage, yet God is very clear here to the Israelites. He mentions idolatry. When you begin to disregard God's commands, idolatry becomes a very inviting offer. Idolatry happens because men are looking for satisfaction, fulfillment, and worth somewhere other than God. In the Old Testament, the worship of Baal and gods like Asherah, it gave idolaters to per, uh, gave them permission to commit vile acts in the name of religious activity. Today's idolaters don't need a statue of Baal to justify that kind of behavior. Today's idols, today's idolaters only need a mirror to do that. Because now the altar of of, of self has replaced the altar of Baal, and the altar of self gives men and women created in the image of a holy God permission to pursue all kinds of folly in the name of things like self-esteem, self-worth, and self-actualization, when in fact we should be looking to our creator to define our value and worth. And clingy faith today, it understands there's all sorts of opportunities to get off track. Now, I certainly believe that people who are truly saved may wander off for a season but will ultimately return. But for people whose faith is based in something other than God's faithfulness, shown to us through the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there are people who put faith in other things. It's just a matter of time before the wheels come off of their faith. I think of people in my life who are no longer walking with Christ and I can think, man, they, you know what they did? They put their faith and trust in a preacher. And somebody's put their faith and trust in the church. Guess what happens to their faith? It's shipwrecked, shipwrecked and bankrupt. I know people who put their faith and trust in a summer camp. They went to camp. They heard preaching. They, they were emotional. And, and, man, it was camp that saved them. And when they become grown-ups, they were saved at camp by camp, and they weren't really saved at all. And the wheels come off their faith. Some people have put their faith and trust in a vacation Bible school. The VBS is what saved them. The the experience of VBS is what they're basing their salvation in. And guess what? VBS can't save you. VBS can share the gospel with you. VBS can introduce you to God's faithfulness. VBS can't save you. Some of these people who put their faith and trust in things other than Jesus, they put their faith and trust in churchy things, 
but they've not put their faith and trust in Jesus, and we look at them today, and today they're running wild, far away from God, far away from the church, far away from Jesus, and we wonder why, and it's because they never really put their faith and trust in Jesus. Their lives come off the rails, and they're chasing after all kinds of other godless pursuits. Finally, clingy faith is never confused about its object. Joshua said, cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Not cling to your career, not cling to your family, not cling to your skills, cling to the Lord. You know, these last few days, we've seen some, we've seen some famous people with their lives upended. Damar Hamlin, a safety for the Buffalo Bills, some of you saw it live on TV, took a normal hit. Not an aggressive hit, not a violent hit, took what we would consider a normal hit. Coach football, a hit that you'd see in practice and kids would get up 100 times out of 100 times from and go take another one. Took a normal hit in a normal game and he went into cardiac arrest. If it were not for the quick response of trainers and medical staff, he would have died on national television right there. Jeremy Renner, a famous actor, played Hawkeye in the Marvel franchise, was ran over in a freak accident with a massive snowplow. Doing a good thing, helping somebody. Now again, we don't know what the long-term prognosis for either of these men is, but it is highly likely that they will never be able to return to playing football and may never star in an action movie again because in a moment, their life was upended. We, of course, pray for their recovery. We pray for their quick return to their careers. But these actions have served to remind us of how quickly our lives can be upended. And if we are trusting in something other than God's faithfulness, we're gonna come up short. If we're clinging to anything other than the Lord, it's easy to see how fragile that life actually is. But when we think about what it means to cling to the Lord, to love, to, to love the Lord, it doesn't matter what those catastrophes are, what those events are, because our faith isn't based in our career, our calling, our vocation. It's not based in our family. It's not based in our activity. It's not based in our skills. When our faith and trust is in Jesus and we love God, it doesn't matter how hard the wind blows because we're trusting in the rock known as Jesus, not trusting in those other sort of things. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, he says, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If your faith is in Christ, it can't be shaken. It can't be uprooted. It can't be dropped. If your faith is in Jesus, there is nothing in creation that will separate the love that you have for Christ and the love that he has for you. Joshua warns the people, you can cling to God or you can cling to the idols and lifestyles of Canaan. But before you do, you need to know how much that's going to cost you. Ironically, Robbie Zacharias said this, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. But nobody ever counts the cost before they begin to court it. Nobody ever counts the cost before they begin to cling to it.
The faith road you're on, if it's going strong, if it's a little off track, it's not done yet. God still has work to do. But the elder Joshua here is very much concerned about finishing the journey well. And I love that this is not a cliffhanger for us. We don't get to the end of of the book of Joshua. We're here, we're we're at the end. We don't get to the end of the book of Joshua and say, I can't, what happens next? I have to wait a year until the sequel comes out. Well, you know, I I don't know what's gonna happen. That's not how this goes. We understand that, that, that we get the next scene, we get the next story, we recognize what happens next. We also understand that Joshua's not the first person to make these declarations. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse one, Moses, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I commanded you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Do what I say, and there'll be blessings. Don't do what I say. Moses says this further down in chapter 28, verse 15 of Deuteronomy. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. You can cling to God, or you can go a different direction. But if you do, know the cost He says, verse 16, cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. Cling to God, you know what happens. Cling to other things and you know the cost as well. Guess what happens? Very next book of the Bible shows us the catastrophe that's waiting if we cling to something other than God. The book of Judges, man, it gives us incredible stories of faith. You think of, of, of just the, the characters, the leaders, the judges in the book who, who, are, who are heroes in so many ways. But after every strong story of faith, there's the inevitable fall from the people chasing after other things. And today, We're blessed because we have the full revelation of Scripture that clearly points us to Jesus. He is the source of our faith. He's the author of our faith. He's the perfecter of our faith. And today, men and women, he is the one to whom we cling. You can cling after other things, but the blessing is found when we cling after Jesus, when we follow Jesus. This morning, if you're running after other things, you need to stop and you need to turn towards Jesus. For those of us who are in Christ, well, guess what? We're not done yet. So the challenge for each of us is to continue to run after Jesus, to not depart from his word to the right or to the left, to hold fast to Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for the words of an old man named Joshua who challenges us in our walk to hold fast to the word of God. I thank you for the full revelation of scripture that we have given to us that points us clearly and securely to Jesus. Lord, we live in a world today where there are many pursuits that are offered to us. There are many distractions, diversions. There's many things to to distract us from the things that matter most. 
But today, as we consider your word given to us from a wise old man like Joshua, may we come after Jesus. May it be Jesus that helps us to know our identity, to know our security. May it be the person of Jesus that drives us daily. May we find our worth in Christ. Father, I pray today that if there's any here today that are pursuing other things, they're Perhaps their faith is in something other than Christ. Maybe their faith is in their career or their calling. Their faith is in their family. Maybe they think back over their life, Lord, and they think it was camp that saved them. It was VBS that saved them. It was church that saved them. It was a preacher that saved them. And God, I thank you that none of those things can save us. They can point us to Jesus, but they can't take the place of Jesus. It is faith in Christ and Christ alone. It is confidence in his shed blood his atoning death on the cross, his victorious resurrection and conquest of death that guarantees our salvation. We are saved in Christ and Christ alone. If there's any here today that are trusting in anything else, may you draw their gaze from those things and draw it to Jesus. May they have the courage to forsake all others, and to follow Christ. For those who continue to walk with Christ, I thank you that you're not finished working on us. That we will have highs and we will have lows. We will have defeats and we will have victories. But you who started a good work in us will bring it to completion. And may we hold fast to that truth today obedient and faithful to you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.